audio. Welcome to Doc Talk, a weekly podcast featuring Monument Health physicians addressing medical topics. Tune into your health with Monument Health. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Doc Talk with Monument Health. I am Mark Houston, and back with me again is Dr. John Tronis, family medicine physician up at Monument Health in the Lee Deadwood Clinic. Welcome back, Thank Dr. Tronis. Yeah, yeah, you bet, man. Uh, these conversations I've had with you have been so enlightening. A lot of these <laughs> even off the podcast a little bit here that I want to bring in. Um, today, we want to talk about... Uh, adult vaccinations yeah. specifically. Yep. Um, hopefully, if you know you have children and you you run them through the regiment to make sure that they grow up to be healthy, normal adults with their vaccines. But there are still, as we get older, obviously, vaccines that I think we need to take. Mm-hmm. Um, in in your opinion, has there ever has there ever been a bigger advancement in medicine than vaccinations? No, and that's really? a pretty, that's a pretty commonly thought thing. Is that vaccinations against diseases was probably one of the biggest advancements in medicines right up there with antibiotics that's it's it's it really is uh, amazing that it you know i mean the, the the smart people the doctors like yourselves were able to sit down and come together and realize what these things can do for people mm-hmm. right um so if you are not sure where to begin with adult vaccinations let's start there okay um how how can you check your vaccination status? Let's say you you grew up and, and maybe your parents didn't keep the best records or you didn't really follow up. And now you're like, you know, I got to get kind of serious about this. Where's the place to start? That is a tough one. Um, <laughs> so for a lot of people, um, and I've actually done this myself, you can contact whatever school system you are at. And oh, they'll often keep point. decent back records of, of students. And so you can oftentimes get your records from there. Um States will have their own, re- you know, records of your vaccinations, and so you can car- contact your state department of health um, for for some of those records. But yeah, there's some that end up falling through the cracks of people like, oh, you know, I could have swore I got this vaccine mm-hmm. at said and said pharmacy in this state in this time. And are there vaccines you get as a child that you don't ever have to have again? Yeah. Or really, mm-hmm. like which ones? Um, so let's see. I mean to put you um, on the spot here, but right. that just popped into my head. So. <laughs> Um, polio vaccines. Oh, there we go. Um, yeah. Those ones tend to be just in childhood. Largely measles, mumps, rubella vaccine, that MMR vaccine. Mm-hmm. Um, that one's done in childhood. They've come out with recent recommendations that maybe if you're having like a high incidence in your region, because sadly there are cities now where having measles outbreaks and things like that. Right. It might not be a bad idea for an adult to get a booster, like a one-time shot. But largely, no, you never have to get an MMR, measles, mumps, rubella vaccine again. Okay. So yeah, there, there are a few. Um, so obviously, uh, the one we've been living through the last three and a half years or so mm-hmm. is is COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we were talking about um, vaccines that had come out before treatments, mm-hmm. correct? And mm-hmm. COVID is a pretty good example of that. Yep. Because now there there are treatments for COVID. Yep. But you still would recommend a vaccine for sure, for yeah. sure. Um, you know the the treatments are far from foolproof, mm-hmm. and oftentimes, if you put it in light of someone who's already been vaccinated, end up working a lot better. Um, but overall, you know, vaccines for COVID they help reduce you know amount of people that are end up in the hospital, ended up in the ER, which is important as far as other people trying to get access to healthcare facilities. If you know during the pandemic, kind of in the midst of it. 
hospitals were constantly full. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in, working in Minnesota during it, and it was constantly, nope, we can't take that person. You're going to have to take care of them there in this small hospital where, like, we've never taken care of this in our life in this right. hospital, but we get to now because they're full of people with COVID. And so now with vaccinations and a good portion of the population is vaccinated against COVID now, people just aren't getting nearly as sick um, as they used to when, when they get – it still happens where you still see sure. people in the hospital with COVID, but – it's few and far between. Nowadays. It's gotten better, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's move on to flu. And this mm-hmm. seems to be the one where a lot of people, I, I talk to so many and it's kind of frustrating, but I kind of get their argument in a way. They say, you know, I don't usually get a flu shot because they're always guessing at the strain. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. I mean, it's it's, it's more than yeah, just guessing. Right. Um, there, right. There's of a course. lot of data and of things course. that go into yes. it. But yeah, it's 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 far from foolproof. And yeah, there are yeah. years where they say it's only 35% accurate. But before I go into flu, I do want to give an update on COVID vaccination. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't know you know anybody out there who's vaccinated in the early days. It was a two or three part vaccine. Mm-hmm. And then you got your booster recently. Nowadays, yep. one shot. Um, they have the bivalent vaccine. They're recommending people just, if you've never been vaccinated, nowadays it's just one shot. So if that was a barrier for people, you can go out there, get one shot, and be completely vaccinated from COVID now. Um, and if you've had the booster and you're immunocompromised or older than 65, they are recommending an additional booster four months or more after your, your first um, bivalent booster. And so the hope is that in the future it's just going to be like a once a year like shot. A just shot. Like a flu shot. Yeah, mm-hmm. excellent. And I, I, I know that, well, yeah, I think it was back in October, November, I I went in, made an appointment, got the flu and the COVID shot. I was yep. out in, you know, yeah. three minutes mm-hmm. and uh, I haven't gotten either. So yes. um, it's great. Uh, all right. So, so back to the flu. Are yes. there generally always just three versions is that right or where did i i could be way off so on that so with influenza um you have kind of two bigger umbrellas so influenza a and influenza b um and most influenza vaccines nowadays will cover four different strains and uh oh. so there'll be you know okay this is the common strain of influenza a that we think is going to be around this is the common strain of influenza b that we think is going to be around based off of what happened in Asia? What happened in Australia? Things are going to be coming across the ocean and coming to us eventually um, this season. And then also kind of the more severe strains. So that that old uh, H1N1 mm-hmm. uh, influenza that came and caused so much issues, pretty much all vaccines are going to cover that nowadays because it was so severe. Um, and so, yeah, it'll cover, you know, A, B and like the common strains we think are going to be here and then the more dangerous strains that have happened in the past. And yeah, for most of it, it's just one vaccine, you get it in the fall. Influenza tends to hit in the winter and not really an issue in the spring and summer. Yeah. Um, for older adults, they do recommend high dose. So 65 plus, they, you get like a double dose of that influenza vaccine. Otherwise, it's just that single dose. And for people who are kind of anti-shots, they, you know, in certain places, you can find the um, intranasal vaccine even. So it's just a spray that goes into your nose that seems to be effective. What do you... I, I don't mean this to be too loaded. What do you recommend to people that are vaccine hesitant? I mean, what's mm-hmm. what's your as a doctor? What's mm-hmm. your go to? I, I tend to try to find out what's important for them, um, or why are they afraid of said vaccine? So you know, if we can kind of tie this to, hey, you have small children, and maybe as a twenty-something-year-old, you're not you know going to have much issues with influenza, but a one-year-old definitely can have issues with influenza, and so you getting vaccinated can help them not get it. Um, or maybe you have an elder, you know, a grandma, grandpa, great something that y- you spend a lot of time with or helping care for. Again, you know, 
these vaccines are far from foolproof. And mm-hmm. in those situations, the more people we can get vaccinated, the better it is, essentially. Right. And so if you can get vaccinated and hopefully not pass it on to a grandparent. And so sometimes we'll talk about that. Um, and then also times there's ends up being a lot of, you know, old wives tales about, oh, this vaccine causes influenza. Right. And I'll try to do my best to kind of, you know, use logic. But people, they respond to a more emotion more than logic. Sure. And so, you know, when I tell them, well, actually, influenza vaccine is chopped up little portions of the virus that can't actually infect you. It's just these little antibodies and things like that that your body's going to be making. People don't necessarily hear that all the time. Sure. But when they hear, <laughs> you know, you can help protect your yeah. one-year-old grandkid or, you know, your grandparent, you know, people will respond to that. Oh, that's a good, I mean, that's a good approach to take. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, okay. Another one that I, I, I've, I've heard about quite a bit, but I've, I would like you to explain really what this is, mm-hmm. and that is hepatitis. Yeah. Uh, B specifically, right? There's how many different types are there? Mm-hmm. Oh, there's a lot. Oh yeah. my god. So hepatitis A, <laughs> B, C, D, and E. Um, oh wow. Yeah. Okay. And hepatitis B um, is one that's commonly vaccinated for starting in childhood now nowadays. Um, when I was a kid, I think you had to have it all done by like 13. But nowadays, people will have it all done by age one. Yeah, um, I was. Well, yeah, I remember vaccines. with my kid, that's uh, yeah. all of those shots mm-hmm. they get right away yeah. just to get um, it out. But so hepatitis A, there's a vaccine against, and we do recommend that nowadays for mm-hmm. for everyone. Hepatitis A, hepatitis C, no vaccine for okay. it. Okay, um, but hepatitis is just a virus that affects the liver. And depending on, so hepatitis B, um, some people are lucky and they get it, liver gets inflamed, have some symptoms related to that, their body's able to get rid of it and it's not a big deal. But for some people it becomes a chronic thing. So you end up, you know, the virus gets in there and it doesn't leave and it ends up with long-term liver problems and you can actually pass it on for pregnant moms, can pass it on to their kid when their kid's born. Oh, no kidding. So it's transmissible. I mean, yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, Largely through um, blood to blood kind of thing. But hepatitis A, um, the reason we recommend that is that one's actually GI tract often. And so that's one that you'll see like, oh, this romaine lettuce is infected with hepatitis A. And so don't don't get that. Okay. Don't get that lettuce. Or, you know, (laughs) they routinely recommend it for travel because you'll see it more in, you know, like Mexico and things like that for hepatitis A. So say, oh, get a hepatitis A vaccine before you go to these types of countries or things like that. But, yeah. So that's okay. So A's and B's we're good with. Uh, Yeah. CD and E or <laughs> still even, working on those. Yeah, yeah. Right. No vaccine. There's treatment for Hep C, but yeah, okay. for, for Hep B, kind of same thing. The best thing is to get vaccinated. All right. Because once you get it, and if you have it long term, we can try to make it not as bad. We can try to suppress it, but it's very hard to get rid of. Get rid of. And so, if you just are vaccinated prior to, um, you know, it helps. And so, it's one that's you know, I think nowadays. For childhood vaccines for schools, you know, it's, it's mandatory. But there is this population in the U.S. that have never had it, never had to have it. Sometimes I'll see them coming to get it because they're going to start working for a healthcare facility. Healthcare facilities often recommend, you know, getting hepatitis B vaccine because they don't want someone accidentally getting poked with a needle while trying to draw someone's blood or give them, uh, you know, medication and then getting Hep B transmitted from one person to another. So a lot of workforces are saying, "Oh, get your hepatitis B vaccines." It's a three-part vaccine for most adults. Um, yeah. Okay. Excellent. Mm-hmm. HPV is the next one on the list. That's interesting. Um, this one, now is this, and and you can obviously correct me when I'm terribly wrong, um, is this, the, this, 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 this can cause cancer, can it? Mm-hmm. Is this the one, is this the one, the vaccine that people have claimed is like really one of our first true vaccines against cancer? 
Yeah, I would say no. That yeah. is amazing, yeah. mm-hmm. honestly. Mm-hmm. And it's not just for women, right? No, no. So everybody should get it. Um, when it first came out, we were just strongly recommending it for kids because it was pre any kind of sexual activity Mm -hmm. because it is largely transmitted through sexual activity. And so they say, okay, we get it to the kids who are 9, 10, 11, 12 before any of that even happens. And then they'll be, you know, resistant to these types of HPV, which is a virus, human papillomavirus. And with this one, there are hundreds. There's, you know, HPV 1 to 100 and something or something like that. And so it some of them are riskier than others. Some of them are more likely to cause issues. And so the vaccines are geared towards those ones that are particularly risky. And the types of cancer that we're trying to prevent largely was cervical cancer. Mm-hmm. But I've seen reports saying like, oh, HPV might be related to penile cancers. HPV might be related to uh, throat cancer or a pharyngeal cancer. HPV might be related to certain rectal cancers. Wow. Um, essentially, it's just a little virus gets into the body and just causes local you know, tissue irritation until that tissue starts to grow to try to protect itself, and then that grow gets out of control and mm-hmm. becomes a cancer, right? essentially. Yeah. And again, these are adult vaccinations. We, we're talking HPV yeah. Yeah. when so, it first... Yeah, HPV is okay. Like, kids can start getting at age 9, mm-hmm. but it's been approved up to age 46 now. Oh. Um, and so... So after age 46, what's... Is it, is it HPV not as... Pre- no, prevalent? it's just they think maybe it's too little, too late. If you've been exposed oh, to it, you're going to have I been see. exposed to it. They don't know if it's as effective. Okay. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's – and it's also you get into the realm of, like, insurance coverage on it. Yeah. And so I think most insurances will stop coverage at age, like, 26 because, um, again, okay. it's that thought that, like, okay, we're trying to vaccinate you from before you get exposed to this HPV. And if you, you know, do the vaccine afterwards, is it really going to be helpful? We don't know. There's actually thought that it still might be helpful. Okay. Um, that, like, even if you've been exposed to these types of HPV, sometimes your body can clear it, and then you can get vaccinated so that it makes it even easier to clear it. Because, yeah, that's what happens is as you get older, your body can't fight this virus mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Okay. So HPV, another one highly recommended for adults. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll move on to pneumococcal vaccines then. Yeah. So. That, that's a word I'm surprised I pronounced. And uh, uh, can you explain a little bit about what, obviously, what that is? Yeah. So uh, your pneumococcal vaccines um, are against uh, strep pneumonia. And there's a couple different kinds, you know, different, you know, varieties of those uh, pneumococcal bacteria. And depending on where you're at, what kind of vaccines your clinic keeps will depend on what they're going to recommend for you. But essentially, as people get older, you're going to be more prone to pneumonia. And the most common types of pneumonia is streptococcal pneumonia. And if we can, you know, get your body kind of beefed up immunity-wise against it, you can hopefully not get it because it is somewhat contagious. People can spread it um, between themselves, but also people will get it if you end up with like a respiratory virus and your immune system gets weak, then you might get, you know, streptococcal pneumonia. If you're immunocompromised for some other reason, you might get streptococcal pneumonia. People with bad lungs. So mm-hmm. for most people, um, it's, you know, in your 60s that you're going to be getting these uh, pneumococcal vaccines. But for people who have asthma, for people who are smokers, for people who have COPD, you start getting that age down to like whenever, you know, whenever you can get it into them. And so it used to be standard that there were two um, pneumococcal vaccines, uh, PCV13 and PPV23. And again, this is just kind of like, oh, this goes against these types of strains, right? right? 
and you'd get one, and then maybe a year later you'd get the other one. They do have something called PCV20 now that is considered kind of a one-and-done vaccine for most people. And so you can just get that one, and it should cover you well kind of going forward. That's the best, when you can yeah. get it down to just one. <laughs> yes, that is. Yeah, it helps. Uh, now, the next one is, oh, boy, this one was, this is a hard vaccine to take. And maybe it just was for me. I had experienced it a very a very small version of mm, shingles mm-hmm. one time, and I believe shingles is nerve based, mm-hmm. correct? Mm-hmm. And if you've ever had shingles, I I, I don't re- recommend getting it ever. Um, <laughs> it's it's the the itching that comes mm-hmm. with shingles that can mm-hmm. almost make it's mind numbing mm-hmm. in instances. I had it kind of come around the nerve kind of on the left side of my body a mm-hmm. little bit, like right here. Yep. And so I'm like, all right, let's go get the vaccine. Mm-hmm. Um, went in to take it, and uh, the nurse said, okay, here's your first one, because it's a two vaccine. Yep. Uh, yep. You do one, and then about two months later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy, that is a hard vaccine to take. Yeah, what happened? Well, it, it, it just wiped me out for okay. about 48 hours mm-hmm. the first time, three days the second time I took it. And they yeah. said... This can happen with this with this yep. vaccine. Why is it so? <laughs> I with, mean, I'm yeah. so glad I did it. Yeah, but oh boy, with all vaccines, um, what you're trying to do is get your body to create an immune response, so that you know a vaccine is something to tell your body, oh, we want to create antibodies against this. We want to create a good defense against this. And so it'll expose your body to something, and then your body has to work on making a defense, an immune defense against that, and. It's kind of the same thing as when you get influenza, when you get shingles. The reason that you feel cruddy often isn't necessarily because the disease or virus itself. It's your body's reaction to it. So that kind of, oh, I feel wiped out for two days. I've got muscle aches, sometimes Mm. even fevers. (laughs) It's because your body is reacting to these things. Shingles (laughs) isn't a common one that I've heard that. Usually it's always. Really? Yeah, it's influenza. Uh, People have tend to, in in COVID, with COVID vaccines, people tend to be like, oh, yeah, maybe a day or two. For me with COVID, it was. You know, the first three that I ended up getting, I went fine. But the fourth one, sure. I ended up having a day where I was just real <laughs> achy and didn't feel great. But yeah, all vaccines, you know, your body's creating an immune response. And so you'll feel cruddy because your body's doing what it's supposed to do. It's kind of like, okay, this is expected. This is a good thing. You right. That your body's fighting against whatever we just exposed it to. Well, I will be, the, I mean, again, those few days I felt crappy were nothing to the mm. days of having yeah. shingles. Yeah, and shingles is a scary one. So shingles, it's a virus. It was a virus you were exposed to with chicken pox. Um, and so if you ever had chicken pox, that virus never left your body. It's it went dormant in into a nerve. And it just sits there and waits for you to be stressed, for you to be sick one day, and then it'll just flare up. <laughs> Classic shingles is one side of the body mm-hmm. and it just follows that nerve and so yeah it won't cross the midline so if you see it from your back kind of going your front it'll just be on your left side or just on your right side sometimes people will have it on their face um, the real dangerous one imagine. is when it gets into one of the nerves that involves the eye um, that can get particularly dangerous and so that's you know the reason we recommend the vaccine for shingles because for most people it'll go away on its own or there's an antiviral medication you can take to get it to go away maybe two weeks or so you'll have some symptoms but for some people they end up with permanent nerve damage. So just oh. imagine that itching, but just the rest of your Always life, and there. you can't, yeah. And mm. itching, I would say, is probably the lucky, because most people, it's it's pain. It's like a burning, yeah. searing pain that they experience. There was a little them. of that that came mm. with, but the, the itching was just, yeah. And so to prevent mm. the potential for long-term nerve damage, you get the vaccine, 
I think only 5% of people who get the vaccine will ever have shingles, and none of those people will end up with permanent nerve damage. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, yeah, again, I, I can't recommend it enough, mm-hmm. <laughs> no matter, and you'll probably get through it better than me, whatever. Um, but it's, uh, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's maddening. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so uh, the last ones we have on here are what a lot of people understand, uh, the Tdap, mm-hmm. I think. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, is this? Can you get this as a kid too, or is this only an adult thing? No, you you start the series as a kid. Okay. Um, because of the, f- so Tdap is essentially only made as a you know a Tdap, and so it has all three parts in it nowadays, and so that's what most clinics will carry. It, but it's tetanus, which is the one that we're worried about with adults. Mm-hmm. Diphtheria and pertussis are diseases that you know don't really affect adults so heavily when you do get them. Um, and most people are vaccinated against them, so it doesn't happen a lot. But pertussis is like whooping cough. Yeah. Um, and that can be scary for, you know, a six-month-old um, to get whooping cough. And so, you know, vaccinating kids young. Um, it's also one that it's, it's a fun vaccine because we give uh, pregnant moms this vaccine because the mom will get the vaccine, create the antibodies, pass those antibodies down to That's baby. So cool. When baby's born, then they'll be immune to whooping cough. And then, because they can't get their first vaccine until they're like six months old, right? And so that's when they'll get their first. And but, yeah, it's you know diphtheria pertussis, not so interesting as an adult, but tetanus definitely is. And tetanus is something that you know we all have to worry about when we're around anything that's rusty, and that's I think what a lot of people associate tetanus with, right? Which is a bit of an old wives' tale. Here we go again. I yeah. love this. All right, yeah. let's bust it then. It, where do where do you generally get tetanus from? It lives in dirt. Um, oh. And so it lives in dirt and soil, and so it's it's dirty wounds that we're worried about. Rusty things tend to be dirty, mm, sure. And so it, they <laughs> have that association. But you can get tetanus from dog bites. You can get tetanus from snake bites because they rut in the ground and live and get dirt in their mouth, and then they bite you and get the tetanus in there. So those are other things that we'll do for for tetanus. But any any dirty cut. So for a lot of people, you know, if you're saying, oh yeah, I had a clean knife, I was sharpening it and cut myself. Nah, probably don't have to worry about tetanus, but oh yeah, this is my buck knife I used for hunting and was cutting a deer and cut myself with it. Oh, for sure, we should be worried about tetanus because that's a dirty <laughs> cut. Yeah. And here's here's what's fascinating, and 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 we're gonna bring rabies into this now too. Yeah. Okay. Tetanus and rabies mm. um, are two um, two instances of 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 a virus that tetanus is a bacteria. Tetanus bacteria. Yep. There we go. That can that. That can be treated with a vaccine, but don't have treatments available. Correct. Exactly. Yep. So that's that's I'm big reason. fascinated by this. Yeah. Tetanus is super rare to see, and I couldn't tell you if it's just because it has a hard time getting into people, or if it's because people are so well vaccinated nowadays. But you just don't see it very much, and people are vaccinated. But if you know, forbid someone gets a dirty cut, isn't vaccinated against tetanus, doesn't get proper treatment afterwards, and it sets in. Once it's set in there's no way to cure it or get rid of it. You just hope to hope that we can suppress everything enough so that your body can try to clear it. And it's, it's rare that that happens. A lot of people will die if they get tetanus because that's when you get lockjaw, tetany, body spasms, muscle contracture, things like that. And you know, diaphragm will stop working. People will stop wanting to breathe. And so we have to try to paralyze them, innovate them, and hope that they can kind of ride it out, essentially putting them into a coma. Rabies, same thing. If we, you know, the, the classic thing is, most people aren't going to be vaccinated against rabies prior to getting exposure. Some people do, like veterinarians and animal control people, they recommend. But average person, never get vaccinated against rabies. Maybe they're, Minnesota is actually pretty classic of someone would wake up and there would be a bat in their room. Um, and so the recommendation from the CDC is if 
you wake up and there's a bat in your room, go get rabies treatment because bats can bite you and you don't feel it. And sometimes it can be hard to find. And some cases of people who died from rabies, they say, don't remember getting bit by anything. And they think in those cases it was probably an exposure to a bat and they just didn't realize they had gotten bit by one. But you go in and if there is a wound, so maybe a dog bit you that you didn't, you know, Cujo bit you. <laughs> and so you, you, there is a, a um, like antigen that you inject around the wound itself. And you try to, you know, get that saturated with that to try to fight the bite itself. And then they give you a vaccine. It's like day zero, day three, day seven, day 14, you get repeat shots of that vaccine. And then you're actually good and vaccinated against rabies. And after that, if you get exposed, you only need a booster. Is it still the, it's not the shots in the stomach anymore with rabies, no. is it? Okay. No. No. I remember that was a big deal and yeah. a big fear. Mm-hmm. When I was a kid, I remember no. everybody talked about that. Yeah. And if you got bit by that stray dog, it's mm-hmm. like 700 shots right in the stomach. <laughs> that's how we're going to have to no, fix this they're, thing. They're intramuscular shots <laughs> nowadays. Um, it can be a little expensive. Yeah. Um, well, but, uh, uh, it's, you, it's a super rare thing. Right. So, you know, most people... You get bit by a dog, you know it's you know Joe the neighbor's dog, and you can ask Joe, hey, has this had its rabies vaccine? And even if it didn't, you can either test the dog or test the animal that bit you, or you can have it caught and then just observe for a few weeks. Because if they bit you and they had rabies, they should show symptoms prior to you having any issues with it. And so it's like, okay, we watched it for a week. It's fine. You're not going to get rabies. You'll so be okay. So how long do you have after being bitten by something with At rabies? At least two weeks. Usually, yeah, symptoms won't start up for about two weeks in people after a rabies exposure. Because that's but how once long it takes s- to incubate. Symptoms start, you're in trouble. You're gone. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, but then it's too oh, late at that point. Yeah, and then you get the classic, you know, uh, fear of water. Right. Um, you're afraid of water because your throat muscles aren't really working. You salivate at the mouth because the virus wants to spread. Mm-hmm. And so it gets into the saliva and creates more and more saliva. Um, people get, you know, bad headaches because it gets into the nervous system and sensitive to light. And so they won't want to be in light. And so. Mm-hmm. Well, last episode, you and I were talking about uh, first aid and I was afraid of ticks. Mm-hmm. Now now I'm afraid of bats. <laughs> you've, you've turned that whole thing around. Uh, we don't worry too much about that around here, do we? I mean, is is no. is rabies... Uh, I mean, is it is it is it a, is it a big deal for our area? I mean, I, can, I suppose it can happen anywhere. Obviously, it, it can but happen anywhere, and a lot of state governments and health departments and things like that will keep track of which animals um, are likely to carry rabies mm-hmm. and like what the incidents are. And by far and away, it's bats. Um, and it'll be funny because you'll get people coming like, "Oh, I got bit by a squirrel," and I'll have to call up and be like, "What's the likelihood that this squirrel has rabies?" And they'll right. tell you like. There's never been a squirrel found with rabies in the state. You're fine. Like, okay, then then we're good. So if you're going to get bit by a small furry mammal, you want it to be a squirrel. Something like that, yeah. But, yeah, I've seen anything from reports on raccoons, skunks, things like that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, Well, this, uh, again, it's been a lot of fun talking with you, Dr. Tronis, about uh, these adult vaccinations, which obviously you highly recommend. And, you know, just go in and speak to your doctor and and get those lists and find out. Yeah, any primary care clinic is going to have a lot of those vaccines. Um, The only odd one out is going to be shingles. Mm -hmm. Uh, Shingles, actually, you have to go to a pharmacy to get. Right. For insurance reasons. But they can talk to you about, you know, the risks, the benefits. If you have any concerns, um, there's a huge vaccine registry online where anybody can go in and say, hey, I got this vaccine. I got this weird symptom. Upload it. And doctors can go in there and say, 
you know, here's what people have reported that has have happened since they've been getting these vaccines. And so, so where is that? Where is that database? Or what? Oh, do you know where it is? Yeah. Or where it's? Uh, yeah, it's it's, a, it's just the online vaccine registry. Okay, so if you can search like that, a VR or something. Okay, but, yep, yeah, you can but just go online and search it and. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not the easiest thing to navigate. Um, <laughs> sure. You have to go, okay, it was this vaccine, and like, oh, out of this one, there's like six of those kind, and so right. it was this one, <laughs> and then you pull it up, and they say, oh, yeah, one person reported that they, you know, forgot the rest of the day kind of thing after yeah. getting it. And so, yeah, like, it, there's there are side effects to it. The reason that these things get approved is because the benefits of not getting those diseases, not spreading those diseases far outweigh the benef- the risks of any possible bad side effects. Because, That's so important for yeah, people to know. Some of these things, yeah, you know, I think like flu vaccine, there's like a one in two million chance that um, people will end up like with a nerve uh, issue that'll cause some weakness. Um, but, you know, when you look at how many people die from influenza, it's definitely higher. It's mm-hmm. like one in like 100,000 people. And so, okay, we'll take the risk of one in two million bad thing happening to save a one in a hundred thousand people you know not dying from this. it makes perfect sense Mm -hmm. it does dr john tronis family medicine physician uh monument health up at lee deadwood thank you again for coming out and talking about this i appreciate it Doc Talk with Monument Health is recorded live at Homeslice Studios, hosted by Mark Houston, edited by Russ Hatton, engineered by Chris Jaquis, and produced by Kelsey Kinney and Rob Henry.